I'm Crispin. In this podcast, we will be listening to the Adventures in Odyssey radio show that has been put out by Focus on the Family for the past 30 years. If you grew up evangelical like us, there's a good chance you've heard an episode or two. We'll be on the lookout for themes and messages in the show that coincide with, and sometimes depart from, God's vision for his kingdom in the world. Thanks for listening with us. Welcome back to the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. A podcast where we listen and discuss Adventures in Odyssey episodes. And this season in particular, we are looking at the political imagination of Odyssey. Right. So we're looking through different episodes that teach us about America's history, justice system, other things um, to really understand the worldview that Adventures in Odyssey is uh, perpetuating and asserting. Yeah, for those who don't know, Adventures in Odyssey is a radio program put out by Focus on the Family that's been going for over three decades. That's a long time. A really long time. And we just read an article about how Vice President Mike Pence is super into Adventures in Odyssey. We did, huh? Well, I did. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the reader in this relationship for sure. Yeah, but it has far-reaching ripple effects. It's generations yeah generations have been impacted by adventures in odyssey at this point like our daughter's listening to it right now in our house while she's taking a nap that's crazy yeah here we are we're ready to rip it apart right (laughs) crispin we do specially curate her listening we do like don't let her listen to any history ones like good evangelical parents do Right. Exactly. Yeah. Basically, when we think about doing our podcast, we go and look for all the tapes that we haven't let her listen to, pull those off the shelf, listen to them, and then discuss them. But hey, this one's pretty good. The one we're going to talk about today, right? Yeah. So today we're talking about blind justice, which was in the aired in the late nineties. No, I think it's ninety six, mid. Oh, okay. Right. I do remember this one was significant because it was on the Search for Wit album. So the actor who played Wit died, <gasps> and then for a whole season he wasn't around. And That's this was so sad. Did you feel sad when you were a little kid? Yeah, I remember my parents telling me that. I remember my parents telling me when my grandfather died, and also when Mr. Whitaker died. And it was like those memories are like the exact same in my mind. Like it was the same exact scenario. Well, we need to really just dig into that. No, just kidding. We won't at all. Right. <laughs> but then, so they got other actors to play Wit, and he like came back from the dead or something? Yes. Well, he was lost in the Mideast, Middle East for a while. And he was trying to find uh, Jesus' bones or like pages of the Bible or Jesus's something like bones? that. Jesus' bones? Yes. If you're a Christian, you don't believe right. that you can find Jesus' bones. Yes. I mean, Anyways, that's a, we got to talk about this That's the whole point is that they claim that Jesus' bones are somewhere. Oh, okay, okay. But maybe it's something else. I can't remember. Oh, maybe it's like another gospel that proves that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. I, I can't remember. Wow. Going after those apostates. Okay. Well, so this episode is called Blind Justice. 
Yes, and it features Bernard and Eugene, and they are on the same jury, and basically they are, um, there's this boy Donald, I was trying to remember, like, how do how am I going to remember this kid's name, because they just mentioned it a few times, so, but I was like, all right, I'm going to remember, same name as number 45. So this kid oh. Donald. Oh, no. <laughs> this kid Donald. Um, is arrested, uh, and he's on trial for breaking and entering and then breaking into a safe and stealing a bunch of money and jewelry. And so um, it doesn't follow the trial. It follows the uh, decision-making process. I'm not sure what you call that, actually. With the jury, when the jury's all in a room and they're, like, deciding. Right, the determination process. Or or, right. And so I know that there's a legal term for it. So they're all in the room. And they are deciding, and uh, one of the guys, this uh, Victor, this strong, outspoken man, basically is like, well, he's obviously guilty, so we just need to do it. Okay, let's just take the vote and leave. But then Eugene is like, well, we don't know for sure, and if we don't know for sure, then we can't convict him. Please, we must review all the facts. And so they review all the evidence. Everybody's really annoyed at Eugene. Of course, Bernard is very annoyed, because if you know Bernard, he is easily annoyed, especially by Eugene. Danielle, yeah, I know none of this stuff. I have, I have no idea. Danielle does not know who Bernard is. She's, we've, no. yeah. I love Eugene. Mm-hmm. I love him. Yeah, so Eugene says, all right, you know, we need to look through it. And then af- basically they're reviewing the evidence and they deter- they find out that the safe that the people had was actually a professional grade safe that would have taken even someone that knew what they were doing uh, hours and hours. The point is, it's a whole lot harder to break into one of these than a regular house safe. They're thicker. There isn't a chance in the world a kid could have torched through it in a few minutes or even three hours. Um, and he was only there for at least, for less than three hours. And he was a high school kid. So, uh, basically he gets off. And But right at the end, Victor uh, gets really mad. Is like, no, he's definitely guilty. We need to send a message. Don't you see? Kids like him need straightening out. They need discipline, a firm hand. We've got a chance to give him that, and you're messing it up. He's definitely the law and order guy. Um, he's like, you know... Well, kid- it's more than that. Right. It's more than law and order. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, he is kind of the voice of law yeah. and order, because he's like, well, even if he's not guilty, this will teach him to not hang out with the wrong kids, and yeah. et cetera. But then at the end, Victor, it turns out that Victor coached him, and he didn't like him when he was coaching him, and he thought that he was stealing the other kid's stuff, so he was going to get him for being a brat. Uh, when he back when he coached him, so it was a mistrial because Victor had previous contact with him and knew him, which is not what is supposed to happen when you're on a jury with someone. Okay, that's kind of a long recap, but whatever. <laughs> it was important. I know, it's like that's not the thing with these Odyssey episodes, right? Like the plot is both boring and complicated, and yeah. so how do you recap that? I, I appreciate your effort. Okay, before we really dive into the episode, let's talk about. The scripture verses that Chipper, little Chris, talks about at the very end of this episode. Yeah. So she references Isaiah 59. Like the whole chapter. Right, which is yeah. Which a long chapter. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And basically says God doesn't like it when justice isn't done. So, um, and it talks about the whole nation of Israel repenting. 
Um, yeah, and it's, it's fascinating. I mean, I encourage people listening to this to go and read Isaiah 59 because it is a really interesting um, passage just about how justice has left like the public square and both that like the people entering into like the justice system are corrupt and then just like the justice system itself is corrupt how everything is corrupt and yeah it was kind of fascinating to be like oh this is like an age-old concept that we create these systems to try and enact justice in the world and they're just really corrupt yeah it's interesting because chris says at the end she says uh, truth and justice are what God wants at the heart of our our relationships and our neighborhoods, our communities, and even our nation. And that's the only way that justice will be done is if there's truth. Well, yeah, she really she really focused on the word truth and not so much on the word justice. And so how Christians need to stand up for truth. Right. Which is fascinating because looking back on my childhood, I definitely heard a lot about standing up for capital T truth. Right, and we'd even say that, capital T, truth, right? A mm-hmm. Christian, that's your job. And I didn't really hear a ton about standing up for justice, right? Yeah. Especially so- in, like, a systemic legal system way. There's definitely this sense that our justice system is pretty great. I mean, maybe slightly flawed because, you know, I was super into John Grisham books. And <laughs> maybe we could talk about this later, but maybe we could talk about it now. So when I was, like, 11, I was obsessed with John Christian books because I was really into the idea of justice. I think in my heart, even though I wasn't really given that language in religion, that's why I loved John Christian books. And I guess it definitely made it seem like some of the stuff was corrupt, right? Right? Like some of the legal system was corrupt. Insurance companies were corrupt. Law firms were corrupt. But, you know, a few good-hearted, smart people could really work things out. I remember also when I think I was 12 or 13, my favorite movie was this movie called A Civil Action. Have you ever seen that? No, I don't think Have so. Have we talked about this before? No, who's in it? John Travolta. Okay, then no. And he plays this like hot shot, big city lawyer who's super mean and like for some reason he used to do like community service and so then he has to like work with this town and like all their kids are getting leukemia because this corporation is like dumping chemicals and I was, like, so obsessed with that movie. Again, I think because I have this heart for justice, right? And so I really latched onto this idea of, like, someone going in, exposing corruption, making them pay, like, giving some justice to people, even though acknowledging, like, so much hurt has been done by the injustice. Like, you can't make up for kids dying, right? And I watched that movie, like, once a week, maybe, when I was, like, 13, I mean, not a normal thing to do, right? But I started thinking about all that stuff as I was reading Isaiah 59. Like, maybe if you are someone who has the Holy Spirit, like, that is just a natural inclination in your life, is this longing for justice. Um, And I like focusing on the justice rather than the truth word, and I'm Mm. still wondering why that is. Mm. But anyways, let's go on to that other verse. So she talks about Isaiah 59. And, and also Micah 6 8. Micah 6 8. Can you recite that from memory, Crispin? Uh, I can because as long as we're on the topic of childhood and evangelicalism, there's that Stephen Curtis Chapman song. What? Yeah. I'm trying to remember it. It goes like, Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to do my best. That was good. Mid 90s Stephen Curtis Chapman. 
You guys, it is November 27th today, and Christmas is already listening to Stephen Curtis Chapman Christmas music, and I just want to say that on the public record. Yep. Okay, so, do justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly with your God, right? Yeah. What does the Lord require of you? Mm-hmm. To love justice. Wait. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Yeah, and so, and then Chris is like, that's what we all should do, which I agree. It's an awesome verse. Tons of, like, social justice organizations, like our own mission order, Interchange, where you live and work in low-income neighborhoods. That was our, like, life mission verse. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a really fabulous verse, and I'm like... I would love any child to have that imprinted on their heart. So, yeah, it's interesting though because uh, when we, when we hear the word justice as Americans, it's almost this patriotic concept. Oh, really? don't you think? I don't know. I think. I mean, so. not to me anymore. Right, but I think like growing up when I thought of like justice, right? You even hear like the Justice Department, right? Like it's a whole department dedicated to justice. Yeah, what do you think of it now? Um, I would prefer to call it the DOJ. Corrupt as hell. <laughs> so right. Right. Um, so okay, let's 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 start here. You probably listened to this when you were a kid, right? This episode. Yeah. All about basically Eugene is the person who is saying like we can't just like send this kid to jail because we want to. We need to really look at the facts. And then in the end, it's a mistrial because what it, what is that phrase he uses at the end? Reasonable doubt. Yeah. Like, so that was kind of like the crux of it. Mm-hmm. That was the crux of justice, which is kind of weird if we think right. about that. So as a child, like, what would your sense have been about America's legal system based off of this episode? Well, I think based off of this and all other things that I watched growing up, because, you know, like, I think especially as Christians, like... And maybe if you you didn't grow up evangelical, but I feel like some of the stuff that we were allowed to watch were legal dramas, right? I did not watch those. Okay, I guess it was just me. What did you watch? Uh, well, I'm thinking of like Murder, She Wrote. I um, never watched that. Yeah, we totally did. We watched Touch by an Angel, Promise Lane, and Murder, She Wrote. Yeah, I did the first two. Right. Which, R.I.P. Della Reese. Oh. I know. Yeah. Anyways. So, th- I think... The story here, like, who is it that... So, if there's a hero in this story, the hero is kind of Eugene, but it's actually, like, justice. Justice prevails. And I think what you could easily get from this episode is that although there might be corrupt people uh, that will be part of juries, like, justice prevails because it always does in whatever media we watch, right? We never, especially as kids, we never watch things where, like, someone is unjustly uh, prosecuted. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that it was, for me, the takeaway was, like, even though, um, you know, there are people that are unjust or, you know, lied about their contact with the person or whatever... It will come out in time within the course of an episode and justice will be done. And it really makes me think about the, the irony of, and I'm, I th- I'm still trying to understand this when it comes to evangelicals, Republican evangelicals, on the one hand, are very skeptical of the government, right? And of people. And a lot of that is 
I mean, if we want to give them the benefit benefit of the doubt, is that they believe it's their theology informs that that them that people are corrupt, and thus you know governments will be corrupt. But then at the same time, it's like, but this system is like baptized or blessed by God, so that despite like human corruptions, justice and truth will still prevail. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating because I don't know when it started to crumble for me, but you know, I would say on this date, I don't have a lot of faith in our justice system. Acknowledging that it would probably be okay for me, <laughs> right? Like, right. as a white woman, it would probably work out okay for me. And I just know it is not the same for people of color. And specifically, I would say black men in America. I mean, if you look at the incarceration rates, it's just incredible. And you know, there's always these little things, but I, um, it's kind of been eroded, I think, day by day. So it's hard for me to understand, like, how I would have listened to this episode as a child. But being me and listening to it today, I just thought, I just had this sense of, like, horror. Like, Eugene Meltzner is, like, the only thing standing between this boy being sent to prison by all of these, like, racist and prejudiced and apathetic people, right? And like, if he wasn't there, then they would have just, like, sentenced him to prison. Obviously, there's a lot of holes in this plot, right? So, like, the prosecution or the, the defense must have did a terrible job since they didn't figure out any of that stuff about the safe. And, you know, we don't really have to talk about that here. But, yeah, and it's interesting because Victor, the guy who's, like, super mean and keeps saying, like, people need to be punished and... Yeah, if he like if we let him off, then that sends a, sends a message and like, don't you want your community to be safe? And I was kind of annoyed because Eugene kept saying like, it doesn't matter what I want. Like, I just need to look at the facts. Now, perhaps Donald does need to be disciplined, and I agree that this could be a great lesson for him. But we are not the ones to do it. Not this way. Not at the expense of the truth. Mm-hmm. And yet, they still end up calling Eugene a do-gooder, which I was like, he's not even a do-gooder. He's just trying to look at the facts, right? And so... He's, like, very strictly adhering to the rules. Yeah, and so as an adult, I'm like, nobody else is wanting to do that. And that makes Eugene a do-gooder. Like, to me, that shows that the entire system is flawed. Like, because they would have just sent sent him to prison if Eugene hadn't kept demanding it, right? And so I was like, man, it just seems so corrupt. And even... You know, I was on this, I was on Instagram the other day, and there's this account I follow, and it's called, like, Black Archives or something like that. But anyways, they they posted a picture of this little girl with her mom, and it was just this tiny little story about how this girl's mom had um, been sent to prison for life for, um, like, using cocaine. It was her first time offense, and Mm. she was sentenced to life in prison. And just thinking about that is not what happens to other groups of people, right, when they are found in the possession of cocaine. They do not get sent to prison for life, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And just thinking about the the generations that are ruined by our justice system, because it didn't just ruin – the woman's life who went to prison, it ruined her daughter's life. You know what I mean? There's, like, such ripple effects, and the disparity just continues to grow. That's what it feels like to me at mm-hmm. this point. The disparities are getting worse. 
right because and, of our legal system yeah and and picking back going off of what you were just saying basically the reason that it works out is because Eugene does follow the rules so there's this implicit message that the system works as long as people stick with the rules and follow the system but I so you can I just as a kid I probably would have been like not that the system works but like the system only works if there's a do-gooder who stands up and that kind of goes along with John Grisham with Civil Action all these movies like the system doesn't actually work unless really 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 good people stand up which is probably like a weird savior complexity thing but mm-hmm. also shows this inherent idea that it doesn't work when people like Victor are there and people like Victor are in the majority. And also, they never obviously say the race of Donald. Um, he sounds pretty white to me, but everybody in Odyssey seems pretty white. Right? But, right, till the Washingtons come later. Right. But anyway. But Victor does say, like, I was coaching an inner city. Do you say inner city or urban oh. soccer oh. team? Huh. And, and Donald was on it. And I was like, okay, so we definitely have some sort of distinction here. It's at least class because if this is the mid nineties and they're talking about inner city soccer teams, you know, what kind of kids do you think they're talking about here? Right. And what kind of like mental picture is that giving mm-hmm. listeners? Right. And he was in a gang. Right. And they kept talking about him being in a gang. And yet it was like a very odyssey kind of gang. Cause remember I was asking you like, what is this gang all about? Yeah. And all we know is that it's called the Mustangs. So that sounds like a white gig to Yes, me. it does. But also, like, people who don't quite know what a gang is. <laughs> and yet, like, maybe those are just, like, dog whistles. Maybe those are just words to, like, implant in the minds of kids. Like, gangs are bad. Gangs are scary. Even though there's, like, this such a hilarious look at a group of people called the Mustangs who, like, dare each other to, like, go into houses. And I don't know. You know what I mean? Um, but still, I just feel like there's still some words in there, like, gang, inner city bad kid, you know, Mm -hmm. deserves to be punished. Uh, You know, I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, even that, he says, well, he deserves to be punished. And Eugene says that might might be so. Yeah, I know. But because we're following the rules, we can't can't punish him now. Because of reasonable doubt. Again, he's not a do-gooder, truly. He's just saying we have reasonable doubts. And I remember that one lady, she kept saying, like, he has a tattoo, so he must be bad. Which, again, it's like, Maybe it's trying to be like a funny take on prejudice, mm-hmm. but it's kind of terrifying. Yeah. But maybe they were trying to say, talk about prejudice. I'm not sure. This is how it always is with Odyssey. I'm not quite sure what they were trying to say here. Right. I mean, it would have been really powerful if there was someone there that was like, this is a kid. First of all, this is a kid. Right. Being tried as an adult. Right. Which, thank you, Brian Stevenson and the Equal Justice Initiative for all the work they are doing to help... Make it so that minors are not tried as adults and not able to get the death penalty. I mean, in the U.S., up until what? A few years ago, minors mm. could get the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And how how many people of color made up that proportion, do you think? A lot. Okay, and do you know, <laughs> the U.S. didn't used to have the death penalty. When did the death penalty come back? So we had it way back when, and then the courts said we aren't doing the death penalty anymore. And do you know when it came back? No. After the Jim Crow laws were decided to be unconstitutional. Oh. So, I mean, everybody should watch the documentary of the 13th, right? 
everybody should see these threads of once slavery was ended, once the Jim Crow laws, which, um, you know, how would you sum up the Jim Crow laws? <laughs> We've shredded this out. The Jim Crow laws, which actively targeted. Segregated and I want to say oppressed. They, yeah, actively yeah, I mean, so just <laughs> just research the death penalty and when it started coming back, which states the death penalty is more active in, and then look at like the populations who are most on the death penalty. I mean, our system is so clearly flawed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's horrifying. I feel really freaked out just talking about it right now. Once you start laying out all the facts, it's just overwhelming. And even think about all the things in pop culture we're talking about now. Um, you know, Colin Kaepernick, Black Lives Matter, all these NFL people. Like, it all comes down to this reality that some people are saying our justice system is flawed. And other people are saying, like, no, everything's great. And where do we think Adventures in Odyssey falls on that continuum? Because it's a big deal. Right. That's what I don't understand is that, I mean, going back to it. So if we're talking about white Republican evangelicals. It's generally like it's this distrust of the government and of institutions and of people, right? Like that's why you want your gun, right? Just in case the government tries to oppress you. And yet when it's people of color saying I was unfairly charged, I was unfairly prosecuted, like because people are corrupt and because people don't do their jobs or even like the 10 other people on the jury that were just too lazy or like too apathetic Apathetic, to do anything. Right. They weren't like, well, they were just like, I want to go home and eat my pot roast. Which is so interesting and actually so damning. Right. So why is it that it's so hard for white evangelicals to believe that they're black brothers and sisters Right? That are saying, like, hey, the justice system works against us. Because I think, for me, the central horror has been not that our justice system is broken, right? Going back to Isaiah 59, I do think there is this, like, long biblical tradition of saying, like, yeah, people are corrupt. Justice doesn't work. We need God to come and intervene, you know, make Mm -hmm. things right. But I think in America, the unique piece is that white people have actively fought for segregation have actively fought to incarcerate people of color like it's been on purpose and so that's such a huge systemic issue that nobody wants to touch with a 10-foot pole because that implicates you into that system and I feel implicated I feel like since I've benefited by the nature of my race um then I am implicated and I need to work towards seeing justice in our mass incarceration system. You know? Yeah. I feel like people don't want to deal with that. Yeah. And I think another piece, too, is that our justice system, not only does it, is it unfair against people of color, but I think that it's also unfair in a positive way or that it, you know, like if you're white and especially if you have money and you're white, like you can get off, you you can get away with much reduced penalties or for whatever reason, like, you won't face the consequences of your actions. Right. I mean, I think that's that's a genuine, like, possibility. So I think, I mean, I just think about, like, for one thing is just that for a lot of us, we don't come into contact with the justice system. 
And if we do, if we're privileged, then it's not that bad. I mean, it's, it, I'm not even saying that it's, it's, it's like you, we don't actually get what we deserve, right? right? I mean, I've been pulled over and not gotten a ticket for things I should have gotten a ticket for. So if that's my like frame of reference of like the justice system is like, well, sometimes you, it's bad and sometimes not, then I'm not going to care. I'm not going to care about injustice in the system because right. it doesn't seem that bad to me. Like what's, what's the big deal? Yeah. And so I think in the long run, if this episode is called blind justice, if Isaiah 59 and Micah 6, 8 are the verses, you know, it didn't do enough at all when talking about the realities of the American justice system and how corrupt it is. I mean, I think it talked about it a little bit, but not nearly enough. Right. Yeah. And it, it's just interesting to me because it gives this really clear example of how the justice system could go wrong. And yet, if you listen to it, you wouldn't take that away. You wouldn't be like, oh, I could see how someone could be unfairly accused. You would be like, no, like justice always wins out, just like on Adventures in Odyssey. Right. I mean, especially if you're listening, listening as a kid. Right. Now I feel depressed, Crispin. Yeah. Our justice system is really messed up. I just feel like we need to lament about that a little mm. bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. We also should go back and read Wanted again, which is an amazing book by Chris Hoke um, about a lot of the men that he's met in prison. Yeah. It's a really beautiful book and just just is such a picture of like how the justice system like does not... I mean, it does not repair things. It does not fix things. It just makes things worse. Yeah, I mean, some of my favorite writers are people who have such intense experiences with people in, um, you know, incarceration systems. So, so Chris Hoke's book, Wanted, and then his mentor, Bob Eckblad, who wrote Reading the Bible with the Damned, which we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Brian Stevenson, his book, Just Mercy, is amazing. We highly recommend anybody to listen to that. Um also, Father Greg Boyle, you know, working with gang members who've been in and out of prison systems. Like, these people, I th- all of them are people of faith. And just the realizations they've come to by being in contact with these communities where the justice system has been anti them. Mm. I don't know. It's just really strengthened my faith, while at the same time, absolutely crumbling my faith in America. I was reading Luke 4 recently. Um, and where Jesus talks about his mission. And one of the things is um, talking about uh, freedom for captives and prisoners. Um, And then also thinking about, I think, Matthew 13, where he talks about, like, you know, when I was in prison, you came and visited me. Oh, Matthew 25, right? Right, Matthew 25, thanks. And I'm just like, wow, that is, like, there are some really big commands from Jesus or teachings about people. About prison. That are impacted, yeah. right, by the justicism. And it is like it is like our theology is untouched by that. I mean, the most I can think of is like prison ministries, but that which is... Which are cool. Don't get right, me wrong. Which is cool. But I think for the average person, you're like, oh, yeah, well, that's because those people need Jesus. Well, and even think about Chuck Colson, like the big prison ministry guy. He started that because he went to jail, right? right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of fascinating if you think about it. He's a powerful white dude who actually went to jail... Which probably changed his whole life, and then he started um, a prison ministry. That I grew up knowing a lot about that. 
but you're right. Like, people in prison were so central to the heart of Jesus. And yet, I think a lot of us who can afford to go through life without trying to think about that at all. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh my gosh, I just haven't even thought about people in prison. And in part because, not that I'm putting myself off the hook, but it's like, I mean, I even thought for a while about wanting to do prison ministry. And I'm like, but it's like a really far drive because people in the justice system are shipped out into the middle of nowhere where they just stay and where they're where they don't, you know, it's hard for people to get to them. Yeah, on purpose. Okay, well, this took a a real turn right. into reality. I wonder if there are any other Adventures in Odyssey episodes that talk about the justice system, or if this is kind of the or only prison. one. prison. I yeah. don't know. Maybe we'll put that question out on the old Twitter. Right, none are coming to mind. But this was an important piece uh, to understand Adventures in Odyssey's view of American government, particularly the justice system, how justice is brought about in society, and you know how we are a, a biblically-based country. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about the people listening, but I think in the past few years, a lot of us, myself included, have just had some pretty stark realizations about white Christians in power, how they've responded to some of these more public, you know, I would call them state-sanctioned executions, right? So I'm thinking Mm -hmm. specifically of Mike Brown in Ferguson. Um, I think that was 2014. Mm -hmm. And before that, um, Trayvon, right? And I remember having a conversation with someone I dearly love where they were just saying, you know, basically he deserved what he got. And just screaming and wailing. Just at the thought that the people I love and look up to and respect have become apologists for death, right? Mm-hmm. Because what? Because they have to have this belief in the system or they have this belief in self-defense or they have such deeply ingrained racial prejudice specifically against African-Americans, that they're not able to even lament and mourn the loss of a gorgeous life, right? Right. I mean, this is heavy stuff. Yeah. No, that's what I was, as we were listening to this earlier, that's what I was thinking about. It was like, okay, so here's Adventures in Odyssey clearly explaining how justice can go wrong and people can get sentenced for things that they don't deserve. And yet when it comes to certain people like when it comes to black men being shot for example Mm -hmm. really big example it's like well the system definitely like is airtight there in that situation right right Right? it's like oh lots to mourn and lots to think through here but this is yeah it's a really big topic so yeah we'll look into that and see if there's any more about it but who knows well thanks for listening i hope you can go out and Be a Eugene today, which basically means be a nerd about the rules, but only if the rules are good. Be a do-gooder nerd. That's what I'm trying to say. All right. That's it for this week. You can find us on Twitter at... P-I-S. Is that it? The P-I-S podcast. I think it's Prophetic Imagine. 
okay. on Twitter. You can email us at propheticimaginationstation at gmail.com. Once again, I'm DL Mayfield. And I'm Crispin Mayfield. And we're recording this in our resistant shed. Thanks for listening. Go out and read some good 1990s John Grisham for me. Bye. Bye. This has been an episode of the Prophetic Imagination Station. Check us out on SoundCloud or iTunes and stay tuned for weekly discussions.